welcome to the Smokies and Wine podcast with JB and Jamie with the best guests, wine and chat. You know it makes sense. Sponsored by Clackenview Wealth Management, working with you today to plan for your tomorrow. Delighted to say we have Amy Kilpin, five times Iron Woman, GB triathlete. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you very much. I am good. Yeah, I raced on Sunday, so I'm having a slightly easier week this week, which I always take advantage of. How did you go on? Yeah, not bad. Um, so I don't really usually do Olympic distance. I usually do middle distance, which is a half Ironman. And this was Olympic on Sunday. Uh, I was fourth lady overall. So it was all right. My run needs a bit of work. I've been having a few niggles. So we're just working through those at the moment. So explain what, what was the fool in that? What's the fool you were doing? So the distance I usually do is a 1.9k swim, a 90k bike and a half marathon. Uh, on Sunday, I did an Olympic distance, which is effectively half the distance of each of those disciplines, near, you know, near enough. What's making you go d- down the way then? Is that, does that help training, hinder training, or was it just for a change? Well, that was largely because I've had some niggles when I've been uh, run training, mostly felt on the run, the swimming bike. I don't really feel it. But um, yeah, I've had the last few months I've been struggling a bit, so I didn't want to go and tackle a full sort of half distance triathlon without knowing that my body was capable of holding form throughout that distance. So this was just a bit of fun then? Basically. I mean, so it's quite funny. I, I've, over the last few years, I've built up a little bit of a reputation on my social media where people continuously ask me, do you even have a UK passport? Because I am permanently away. You're not a fan of the rain. We know that. I don't like the rain. That's why I was kind of playing on playing on that with with my recent Instagram post. But I, I, yeah, I don't really like racing in the UK. I'm not the biggest fan of UK racing, so I don't get that excited about it. Um, I like kind of the international buzz of of competing against international athletes and going to an exotic new country. That kind of stuff excites me. So where do you do your training then? Um, if I can get abroad, it's usually abroad. Right, okay. the, the last couple of winters, I was barely at home. I mean, I skipped all of the rubbish weather and people were tweeting about how crap the weather was and I was somewhere sunny. You know, it was kind of the usual lots of, I'm going to block you, you're really annoying with your sunny photos and T-shirts and shorts on the bike. Go away. <laughs> so it doesn't bother you racing in Dubai and like... 40 degree heat or something like that or do you tend to avoid that as well I think it would now because I've just spent the whole my first UK winter this is literally the first time I've spent the whole of the winter in the UK training uh, I do a lot of indoor training anyway but um yeah I've raced in some hot countries actually and you know a few years ago I raced actually quite a few years ago 2015 I think it was I raced in Malaysia um had to do specific heat and humidity training for that so um, it's always fun, you know, it adds a different dynamic. But I would take heat over being cold any day. Based on that, is this the whitest you've ever been then in a long time? Yeah, I'm trying to crack the fake tan out. <laughs> I'm the same. I'm a ginger, so I very rarely get any form of tan. <laughs> I don't resort to the bottle, though, I must admit. <laughs> let's, let's go back to where it all began, Amy. So you didn't start triathletes till you were 26. So what were you doing before that? You were quite sporty anyway, weren't you? I actually wasn't sporty, no. I um, I kind of grew up quite into horses, but not competing. I just liked riding horses for fun, really. 
Um, and then I went through high school. I did a bit of hockey, but nothing competitively. I was kind of one of those people that would try something, get bored quite quickly and give up <laughs> and try something new. So it was always that kind of just that, you know, the adventurous spirit of trying things. Um, and then I guess I went through university, um, didn't do any sport through uni either, wasn't in any teams. And I started working full time uh, as a journalist in the shipping industry of all industries to work in. And I just didn't want that nine to five life. I thought this can't define me for the rest of my life. So I just started doing fun stuff, adventurous stuff like climbing mountains. And I started getting into running, ran a 5K and a 10K and then a half marathon and then a marathon. And I ran about six more marathons in different locations around the world. Got to love the bit of travel. Um, and then I decided to give triathlon going, but I couldn't swim front crawl at all. So I really, really struggled. <laughs> Could you ride a bike? Yeah. Yeah, just about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did that affect your times? Because in the swim, you must have been miles behind everybody. At, at, you know, at that, at that point, you're, you're well behind the field then if you're doing breaststroke and they're all doing crawl. It was honestly tragic. That, that year I did a few marathons <laughs> in the UK and I was legitimately last out of the water and the kayak was having to accompany me. So when people say to me, oh, you're really good at triathlon, it's like, no, trust me, there is no natural talent here. I spent 10 years just absolutely working my ass off. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really bad. I remember I'd come into transition, there'd be no bikes there. Everyone was already out on the bike and it was so embarrassing. And even my first international event, at the end of that year, I did um, a half Ironman in Lanzarote. And for context, the cutoff time is eight hours for a half Ironman. I did it in seven and a half hours. So I wasn't far off the cutoff. I came second from last in my age group from my first half Ironman. Did you used to do it in fancy dress, like someone out the London Marathon or something? Yeah. <laughs> I should have. I should have, because then it would have kind of justified my rubbish times. You should have came as a kayak, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> And that, that first one you did, I mean, presumably you trained before your first triathlete. You didn't just go from, I'm going to do a marathon to, I'm going to have a go at this triath triathlon stuff. Well, I was only run fit. Biking, I think a bit of run fitness carries through anyway, but I was doing a bit of cycling. But I, I look back at some of my Facebook posts, you know, when you get those like memories, yeah. it says, oh, I just went for a 20K bike ride, which is like nothing for me now. But in those days, you know, I was doing a bit of training across all three disciplines and horse riding, which is not one of the disciplines. Um, yeah, so I did a bit of, bit of training. I, I mean, I, after that point, I actually got a coach because I thought I decided I wanted to go full and do the full big Ironman. Yep. And I just didn't want to die, basically. It's a good strategy. Is it, like, is it a self-achievement thing or are you just very competitive by nature? Oh, no, I'm not competitive. I don't think, I guess I am competitive, but I've never been, I've never channeled that competitiveness in sport for sure. And for, for you know, a few other things I've been involved in, I've never been that, I, I guess I'm driven, but maybe not so much competitive because, yeah, I, I was never into competitive sport. So I wasn't doing it for that. It was definitely a box ticker early on. Yeah, just personal achievement. Yeah. I need to ask about the training. I'm just puzzled here. So see, when you're training for that first triathlon, did you not think, I'll have a go at the crawl? Yeah, so, I mean, the thing with open water, and maybe you'll find out one day, but you get you get in a lake or something, and 
uh, a lot of people experience it, you kind of get this, it's, it's borderline panic attack. Right. So I would start trying to do front crawl and then my chest would tighten up so much. It was like, you know, I can't breathe. And, and then I'd panic and have to do breaststroke to calm myself down. So I, it would be a sort of a combination of that. But I, I, my actual first triathlon in London, I couldn't swim front crawl. I just literally was, yeah, it was horrific. And you probably wouldn't be able to go underwater, but I bet you just bobbed with your head above the water, did you? Yeah, no, I mean, I could move my arms, but it's the moving the arms and, you know, keeping your body position correct and trying to do, it was mostly the breathing. I couldn't get the breathing, I just kept swallowing water. And then I, you know, that's not cool, and especially in the London Docklands. <laughs> but once you started doing the crawl, you must have picked it up pretty quick because obviously you got pretty good pretty quick. Yeah, I didn't get, I didn't get good that quick. I mean, it literally took years. I, I had some lessons, coaches. Um, yeah, it took it took a while. I mean, you know, I, I my first swim time in my first seventy point three was fifty one minutes, which is rubbish. You probably wouldn't have a benchmark for that, but but nowadays I'm swimming around thirty one is for a good time. So it's quite a big chunk um, to take off. What made you go straight to Ironman, which is obviously the longest distance for all all three disciplines, rather than start off with the the sprints or the Olympics, as you mentioned, which is a lot shorter? Oh no, I did. Yeah, so my first oh, right, okay. in in London was the sprint, and I tried Olympic, and then I did that half Ironman in Landrotti at the end, and just gradually built up. Right, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, I did it quite sensibly. Some people do do an Ironman as their first triathlon, then mental. Do you, do you ever do any of these ultra ones where it's like seven marathons and all that sort of stuff? No. Running no, over mountains. Have time to do stuff like this. You're not thinking of doing that? Are you sticking to triathlon? Is that your passion? No, I mean, ultra marathons, I mean, I can barely run 21k at the moment because I've just got some niggles that I'm nursing. I think I've maybe hammered my body a bit too much over the last 10 years. But I, I don't know. I, I do like the idea of doing something like the marathon to start, but I think that'd be quite cool, quite a cool achievement. But not yet. Running is really boring. <laughs> uh, based on that then, have you got A, a favourite discipline, and, and B, which one are you best at? Yeah, I, I don't profess to be an expert in any three on their own. So, I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not uh, a great swimmer or, or a great cyclist or particularly good runner. But I, the thing with triathlon is if you're moderately strong, across all three, you can put together a good race. I, I know loads of people that I go out on the bike with them. They're way stronger than me on the bike. Can they run off the bike? No. Or can they put it together on race day? Sometimes not. So it's not always about being a mega cyclist or a mega runner. Um, it's about being consistent. And I'm, I guess I'm quite lucky in that respect because I'm pretty consistent across three. When I look at my results, where I position out of, say, come out of the water in whatever place, I'll roughly maintain that position to the to the finish line because I'm pretty consistent. I can hold a good, steady power and a good run pace. I don't sort of go all over the place, fluctuate. So yeah, and I don't have a particular strength. In terms of favourites, that changes on a daily, weekly basis. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be like, I love running this week, it's great. And then the next week I'm like, I hate running. <laughs> Why am I doing this stupid sport? So yeah, it really, it really varies. Anyone that does any swimming will know that you can get in the pool and feel amazing. Yeah. You know, Phelps style swimming, it's never actually. Uh, and then the next day you just feel like you're drowned, 
rat or something. It's, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> weird. <laughs> Do you think the mind comes into it more with you then? I, a lot of things can be at play there. I mean, it can be mental. It can also be fatigue. So, for example, swimming out of the three disciplines is the only technique-based sport. So if you're tired and you're carrying a lot of fatigue from like a big 15, 20-hour training week or something, swimming is often the first one to sort of go because, you know, it's technique and you've got to hold particular body position and it's just very noticeable if you're if you're carrying tiredness is swimming the, always the first discipline though in order yeah. Yeah. yeah and then cycling then running yeah then drinking absolutely <laughs> and we will come on to that yeah, what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> with the uh, with with the transition then what you from the the swim into the cycling and then obviously the t2 the cycling into the running is there a, a certain technique or is it just get out your swimming stuff as quickly you can, chuck on your cycling gear and off you pop. Yeah, just do it as fast as you can, basically. Is that, is that bit timed or is that just added on at the end? Yeah, or, it's yeah, the whole thing, so it's just... Yeah, yeah. So I, I did a bit of a rookie error on Sunday. It was quite funny because uh, I put... When when you're preparing your stuff in transition, because you've got to be, like, doing it really quick yeah. when you come in off the... So I came in off the bike, racked my bike, took my helmet off, and I always put my energy gel in my run shoes uh, and with my run socks, because I don't cycle in the socks, I do that bit in TT. And I put my foot in, I was like, my foot feels really weird, is it like numb or something? And I realized I'd shoved my foot in with the energy gel in yeah. it, which could have been disastrous if I'd started running. But luckily I noticed, I was like, what the hell is in my shoe? Oh, it's my energy gel. So yeah, it's gonna be really handy when I need it halfway through the run. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's just basically, you know, there's a few tips and things you can do to get a bit faster, but. Well, speak, speaking of tips, we're what we would class ourselves as is very, very amateur cyclists, bordering on woeful, <laughs> bordering on needing, needing stabilizers. <laughs> but one of the questions, because I made this mistake the first time I did it, the first time you ever went on the bike on the cleats and you were the clipping, the clipping shoes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You get to a junction. I panicked. I just went toppled right over. Didn't know how to get my feet out or anything. Tell me you've done that. No, I never did that. I'd be the first to admit, because I love laughing myself, but I never did that. It was really weird. I just tried them and I was like, oh yeah, no, I got this. Like I picked things up quite quickly. But what was funny, I was on a training camp the year before last. So 2019, which was my best season ever. I was on a podium in every single race. I was on my first training camp of the year, maybe second. And I rode up to my mate and I did exactly that. And he yeah. got it on film. And I, no, I shouldn't say that because it's probably somewhere, you know. And I literally just, just went, pulled up to him and just went straight over. And I was like, and he was laughing at me. I said, I swear to you, I've been doing triathlon eight years. And I was like a pretty, you know, all right athlete at this point. And I said, I've never done that. I don't know what just happened. <laughs> I, just, I just did it two months ago. A guy held a railway gate open for me and I just collapsed at his feet. I mean, it happens. <laughs> it, it, it's not exactly, it's more your pride that's hurt, though. It's not as if it's yeah. a big fall or, or, you know, anything like that, but it is just more embarrassing. I don't care about your pride. Was the bike okay? Yeah, ah, but it's, right. the, it's the fact you can't stop yourself, so you just have to look him in the face and fall over. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Quick reactions is what it's all about. Since you're such a cleat expert, have you had any other mishaps then? <laughs> The, oh, loads. I mean, come on what, then, talk I, us through some of the some of the some of the mishaps on the bike. Wow, I did a few. Or swim, or anything. Um, let's think. 
Um, oh, there was one race where I couldn't find it. So in on the international circuit um, with Ironman, you put all your stuff in bags, which gets really annoying. And then they put them on these racks that are really close together. So it's basically like thousands of white bags all hanging on their strings. Um, and you've got to sort of remember, they, they are labelled, but you've just come out of the water and a bit dizzy. And I couldn't find my bag anywhere. I was literally running it up and down like a Muppet for about five minutes trying to find my bag. Somebody had actually moved it. So I was like, I don't know. I mean, I've been, I've had jellyfish in the water. Did you say ate them? No, no, I haven't eaten any. <laughs> <laughs> just been stung. Yeah, no, well, there's a race in Poland that I do, and, and there's loads of jellyfish, but they, they don't sting. Um, you just got to get them, on, and they, when they're on your face, it's really gross. But um, no, I mean, there's loads of stuff that kind of happens. I can't think of anything cr- like drastic that I've done that's ridiculous, like going the wrong way on a bike course. Or you haven't done a triathlon in Queensland, Australia, have you? I did one on the Sunshine Coast. Oh, wow, because there's a lot of stuff in the water there. Yeah, sharks and yeah, it doesn't bother me that much. <laughs> I'm just like, well, if a shark's going to come along, I, there's not a lot I can do about it. But also, would they be holding a mass participation race if that was a legitimately high risk? Fingers crossed on that. Yeah, right enough. Yeah. What with, with the niggles that you've had then with, with injuries? How how are you feeling? You, you obviously you held up okay on on Sunday there. Yeah, it was fine. It was just a 10k run, but I, I, I tend to do, and I have done since even when, you know, in the early days of triathlon, as soon as I got a coach, I was like, right, okay, I'm going to take this seriously just because I want to get the best out of myself. But at that point, I never in a million years dreamed I'd be competitive. But I, since then, I just throw, uh, like experts at, you know, to, at the problem to try and get the best out of myself. So at the moment, yeah, I'm seeing a, sports masseuse and a biomechanics guy and my Cairo all within the space of like this last week just to try and get on top of it but that that kind of thing is is so important you know it's like you can train 20 30 whatever hours a week if you're not looking after your body then it's going to be pretty redundant especially when you get to my age (laughs) what about drug tests is that that sort of thing going on it depends what level you're at. I mean, in pro racing, I'm, I'm not a pro, I, but when I, I won my last kind of big race at the end of 2019 was the South American Ironman 70.3 Championship. And because I was first age group overall out of the women um, and, and about seventh out of the elite women as well, I got drug tested alongside them. So, yeah, I think it depends which race and where you position. Would you know if anybody's on drugs that you're racing against? Would you be able to tell? No, I, don't, I mean, I wouldn't have a clue. I don't I really pay attention to anyone when I'm racing. I'm a bit, like, in the zone. Right. So it's not, like, it's not rife in your sport at the moment at that level, no? Could be. <laughs> All right, okay. No, I don't know. I think you just, yeah, I think you just have a... I think the benefits are pretty marginal. They're not as big as you think, but I, I don't know. I don't really know an awful lot about it. You, you mentioned there that you throw money at, at things to make you better. So you've got the coach, the masseuse, and then the, the, the biomechanics. What, what exactly is that? What, what do they do with you or for you? So he's a biomechanics specialist trained in biomechanics, and that's looking at how the body moves. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's, we, I had an injury in 2018 after running a marathon, my last marathon, and I had 
bit of pain in my foot but we discovered through you know I went to physios and all sorts of people and then I went to see my biomechanics guy and he said it's because your pelvis is anteriorly tilted on one side which is pulling the leg up so making the leg slightly shorter even though there's not a leg length discrepancy and then that foot is landing differently because it's having to go reach further to reach the ground right um, which is manifesting in foot pain. So, you know, I had, I saw a physio that was like, oh, you need to like, you know, do something in the foot. It's like rest, ice, compression, elevation or something. And he was like, okay, we need to address what's going on at the hip. So he's looking at everything and how everything kind of connects together down the posterior chain and how something that's, you know, manifesting as pain somewhere like in your shoulder might actually be coming yeah, from, from somebody else. So that yeah. was fi- so that was fixable, yeah. Over the period, yeah, we fixed that through loads of. It was mostly just soft tissue stuff, but loads of work. Um, so yeah, I'm seeing him at the moment and feeling pretty positive about where we're going. Is that mostly running that he would look at, or could that also be the same in a cycling discipline or the swimming discipline? Yeah, it doesn't matter what sport. I mean, you could be a football player or you know tennis player. It doesn't doesn't matter. He'll he'll just look at the body yeah. and how it's moving. Do you do um, ice baths as well? Because I know Andy Murray and all these guys do ice baths. Are you into all that as well? Absolutely not. No? <laughs> I can't stand the cold. I'm the worst. I've had my heating on this last few weeks. You have not. Must be roasting down there. I know. I just, no, I get really cold. <laughs> just just on that, where are you based anyway, Amy? I'm in Buckinghamshire. Buckinghamshire. So it must be reasonably decent down there just now. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> It's been raining a bit too much. You know we're up in Scotland. Mm. That's like a heat wave to us where you are. That's yeah. tropical weather. Relative, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you ever done one up here, actually? I haven't. Uh, oh. I did the Edinburgh Marathon. Oh, but you didn't swim in the ocean, no. No. No North Sea swimming. Yeah, it's like having a nice bath. I don't. That's why I don't do UK races. <laughs> There's some very famous races in the UK, like Ironman Wales, and people are like, it's great. I'm like, I'm never doing it. <laughs> When you are in the UK races, or, or even I suppose abroad, you know, in these Ironman things or, or, or the, the the Olympic distance ones, obviously everyone's racing in it. You know, the women and the men. Do you come across like the the Brownlee brothers and things like that? Are they are they, are they in the same category as you, or is that a different thing altogether? No. Well, so the Brownlee brothers, for example, um, have always done Olympic distance, but in recent years they've actually moved up to the similar distance that I do. Okay, they've caught up with you. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> one day, uh, so they, uh, yeah, um, but they they race in a different wave. They race in the elite wave. I think Alistair did Dubai a couple of years ago, and I did it a few years probably before that. Um, so you you do come across the pros at races, um, but I don't race. I don't currently compete in the same wave as them. And what about people that would inspire you? Is there is there people in the sport? either now or, or when you first started out that you that you looked up to and thought, you know what, I want to be like them, whoever whoever they are? Yeah, loads. I mean, Lucy Charles at the moment, she's dominating the British triathlon scene at, at shorter distances and long, longer distances. Yeah. I don't know how she does it. She's incredible. I just, I'm in awe. <laughs> do you ever get the chance to train with any of these people? Uh, I do, yeah. I t- sometimes train with pros. I've got a couple of friends that are pros. They're, they're probably not, you know, quite at the sort of world domination point yet. But um, but yeah, I train with them. I, I was pretty close to going pro at the end of 2019. And then, like most stories these days, start with, and then COVID happened. <laughs> 
and now we've we've lost almost another year to COVID, and my I'm really busy with work at the moment. So to be honest, I'm probably well, not. Gonna... Will it come back on the horizon? Do you think? I don't know. I think you know I'm getting on a bit now, <laughs> in sort of triathlon terms, and I, I think you know with my lifestyle, I do I do like the mental challenge of running my own business as well, and I think I'm gonna probably hold on to that balance. What is a a typical age as to when a, a triathlete would naturally start to come? We've been watching Federer earlier on today, 39 years old, and mm-hmm. he's coming to the back end of, of his career. He's still amazing, but he's not competing at the very, very top now. What what age would that be for triathletes where things would tail off a bit? I think it's probably similar. I think, you know, it's late 30s. You've got some really strong women in their mid-30s that are dominating. So longer distance, age is, is pretty... Um, redundant actually when when you're you move to longer distances so you look at things like ultra running there's a lot of people in their late 40s because actually endurance improves with age so speed and power and injury management get worse so you see a lot of the the guys like the brownies you know coming up the olympic circuit and then they move to longer distance because it actually gives them more longevity in the sport and are you competing? Because you mentioned something about the age earlier on there. Is there an age bracket that you compete in then? Or you know, you're know, you not up against 20-year-olds or 50-year-olds. You're in a, a certain bracket. Is that the yeah, way it would work? Yeah, yeah I'm in an, age, in an age group. So I, I this year, I hope, um, in September, I've qualified for the Ironman 70.3 World Championship out in Utah. Right. So I'm hoping to, to head out there if we can, you know, COVID restrictions allow I'm planning on doing that race and then two nights in Vegas afterwards. <laughs> have you have you checked the temperature out there already? Race hard, party hard. Yeah, I think it's pretty hot. It's in the mountains, so yeah, in the desert. Now you've said our buzzword, not race hard, but party hard. Um, <laughs> we, you know, we're, we're known as Smokies and Wine. We're having a glass of wine this evening. Um, I, I know there'll be certain days you can and certain days you can't, but, but when you are allowed to enjoy... Uh, a glass of wine. What's your tipple of choice? Yeah, let's stop talking about triathlon. Let's talk about my favourite thing, which is drinking wine. <laughs> um, I, I do. I do like wine, actually. Um, yeah, I'm quite partial to to a nice glass of wine. My my go to before the night before a race, I'll always have a nice glass of red. You can get it pretty much anywhere in the world, so that's pretty fail safe. Um, yeah, I've, I have a wine fridge um, which I had installed in my house, and it's because th- I had a thirty six bottle wine rack, which is just a bit ridiculous. So I cut half of it out and got a wine fridge installed. So I've got half and half now quite proud of it you say you have uh, one glass of red does it ever go two three glasses of red oh, of course not I'm an athlete very diligent <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, I do I do I, I time you know I have a few drinks with friends and um you know I time it so that maybe I've got a rest day the next day or I'm on a recovery week yeah I think it's important to enjoy life and have balance have you got anything lined up you want to do in Vegas then based on partying <laughs> have you been by the way have you been to Vegas <laughs> I have been, yeah, I've been once, I, but I didn't spend very long there. I was there, there less, for less than 24 hours, so I'm looking forward to doing a couple of nights there this time. you got a hotel sorted out yet? You're on the main strip? I have, yeah. I've got a suite at the Venetian. Go on, oh, love. Nice. I do like the Venetian. I do like, we do like the Venetian. I mean, if you're going to travel to Vegas solo, you do it in style, right? <laughs> I've now yeah. managed to rope a friend in, so it will be good fun for both of us. I think Tom Jones is on that week as well. So speak nicely to him. Mention our name. He'll, pack, he'll sort you out with tickets. Oh, yeah. Nice. 
when we're going to see Tom Jones. <laughs> be much more uh, down market. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you touched on your company earlier on. You, you, you know, you want to keep that going. You, you have your own marketing business? Yes, I do. Yeah, I set it up in 2014. So, yeah, I've had it for a while now. How do you manage to juggle all the training you have to do with with running the company, and especially if you're all around the world, what? How do you how do you fit that all in? It's quite funny because I think most people that follow me on social media, I don't talk about work loads because I don't think it's particularly interesting to talk about, and they just think I'm always training. But you know, they they don't see, I guess, the 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 side of me where I've been kind of sat on airplanes and working the entire flight, um, or on training camps. A few years ago, I was on some training camps and. It was just crazy. I, I was doing training sessions, coming in straight on the laptop. Everyone else was like, oh, I'm going to go off and have a nap. And I was like, I hate you. I've got to do like three hours of work now and reply to all these emails. But, you know, it's the, it's the perks of having your own business. You've got the flexibility to train yeah. when you want. You know, I went off for a sports massage today in the middle of the day. I guess if you're employed, you have to be a bit careful around your working hours. And I've got a lot of flexibility. Um, but I juggle it, you know, I work evenings, weekends, whatever it takes to get it done, really. I was about to say, in a typical day, how many hours is to training and working? What, when do you get to sit down? What would you do in a day normally? Well, so this year, work's really picked up, actually. I've got quite a number of big clients. So um, I'm being quite, yeah, I'm finding it much more challenging mentally than than I have in recent years, even um, so I am working, I'm have, I've had to polarize my training again. So I am generally training first thing. I was in the pool at half six this morning and I'll do two training sessions a day. Uh, and then I'll, yeah, do a bike or a run or something later in the day. Um, and then maybe a bit more work in the evening. But when I was in 2019, I was pretty close to being a full-time athlete, which, you know, I think translated into some of my results. Um, and at that point I was just kind of fitting work in around the training. That's kind of how, you know, the training takes priority. I'll just do a bit of work when I can. It's yeah. kind of the other way around now, but I'm still managing to structure, you know, 12 to 15 hours of training a week around work. But the majority of the standard working day, I guess, nine to five, it, I'm pretty much in my office. And then uh, what, what edges do you look for in the triathlon? Do you do diet? What, what do you look for? Uh, top equipment? What are you trying to squeeze to get those extra seconds off? For marginal gains. Um, yeah. I've kind of looked at everything. Yeah, I've had nutritionists. Um, I mean, you know, the, the fueling strategy as well during a race. Some people don't fuel enough. So I've kind of dialed that in over the years. So you don't shove it in your shoe anymore, no? No, no, not, not, don't ever do that. Definitely yeah. not even, you know, four days ago. Um, and yeah, I guess equipment, I'm, I'm lucky. I work with quite a lot of brands uh, who support me, who I've worked with for quite a number of years. So that definitely helps working, you know, with top brands and they give me great equipment to train and race in. Uh, bike, um, but one of the biggest things is aerodynamics as well. And I, I think I have a good bike position, a relatively good bike position, which which definitely helps get give you speed on the bike without having to go harder. So less wind resistance. It sounds like you don't have a lot of spare time, but I, so I don't want to call it what do you do in your spare time, but what do you do to switch off and relax then? 
I mean, more recently, I've got into really trashy TV, which I never used to watch, right? I was always trying to maximise use of my free time. So reading a book or, you know, listening to good podcasts. And no, yeah, yeah. at the moment, I'm just watching absolute trash on Netflix. Well, when you say <laughs> you're not Love Island or anything like that, are you? No, I, I watched the first episode and I've never watched it in my entire life until, and I think it's because I'm working so hard at the moment. I'm building like, massive marketing strategies for big clients global clients and yeah it's, it's quite demanding so i'm trying to switch off by watching that but it track. must be good just to watch shit and switch yeah. off because you're only wanting to switch off aren't you yeah oh, and drinking wine <laughs> so yeah I, do you know what like things since things have started to open up again as well i'm actually just really enjoying seeing friends again you know i i you, you become a bit of a hermit um anyway you know since since running my own company since 2014 I've worked from home train on my own all the time I'm not a part of a team um so you kind of become a little bit of a social recluse anyway and then COVID hits and kind of exacerbates it so I did what everyone else did got a dog so uh he's kept me company um but yeah it's been really nice catching up with friends (laughs) we did that yeah we did that what did you get we got a shapoo it's a cross between a shih tzu and a poodle do you not think these crossbreed names are getting a bit ridiculous now Absolutely. I mean, what the hell is a shampoo? I study on now. I've got feelings. <laughs> it's called Coco for anyone listening. You'll see me at the pondy. Coco the shampoo. See, I've, on the other end of the scale, I've got two rescue dogs. So when folk ask me what the mix is, I have no idea. So you just have to say, who knows? Random Romanian street dog or something. <laughs> no, it's from, from somewhere else. But yeah, you just can't explain it. You just have to go, I do not know. So <laughs> is, is it a greyhound you have, Amy? I have a greyhound, yeah. yeah. Massive. So, I've seen a couple of pictures of it, but when you, and, and obviously it's, you know, you've done what a lot of people have done and got a, got a dog in, in lockdown. When you start traveling the world again, is, is the poor thing going to kennels or where, where's, where, where are you yeah. going to put it? Yeah, that's a bit of a problem. <laughs> You've not thought this through, Amy, have you? I thought maybe. I no, I, I am going to have to massively reduce the amount that I'm travelling, or certainly was travelling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I've got I've got friends and, and a few people's dog sitters. I don't. I would never put a dog in kennels. They they come and stay in my house and look after him. And or do you so, do trusted house sitters or that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, so, okay. um, well, people I know. So, um, yeah, there's some local dog sitters. I live in a Buckinghamshire village. They love stuff like this around here. So, <laughs> dog sitters that come and look after your house and your dog. So, yeah, I'll, I'll do something like that. But I, but I won't be able to travel to the extent that I was before. I was going away every month. That's not going to be feasible. And you'll be fine with that because you seem to like the traveling to get away from the, the weather here. Yeah, but I have also. I think like most people that I know during COVID have become a bit more homely, you know, like, and now it's like a bit of a big event. You go to a restaurant and like, oh, I kind of want to get home now. Can we just stay in? <laughs> you know, there's kind of this, I think it's actually made everyone become a bit more, you know, home centric. Folk are starting to appreciate their own country more, you know, staycations and all that. So it's, it's there's some positives, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And their own home environments, you know, just chilling at home. One of the things I was going to ask you about was, do you have, and I don't know how many it is off the top of my head, but you must have 10, a dozen different sponsors that help you out with the training. And as a lot of athletes will say, one of the biggest problems is trying to get sponsors on board to help, whether it be financially or with equipment to to help them train to their, their capacity. 
How have you managed to, to, to work that in then that you've got so many sponsors? I work in marketing. Yeah, but <laughs> in, in terms of advice that you would give someone that's looking, you know, either just starting out on their, on their athletic journey and, and looking for a bit of help, is it just approaching companies or what, you know, what, what sort of tips would you give them? It's hiring yeah, Amy yeah. to do the marketing for them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I joke, but um, it, yeah, it's a funny one actually because I, I approached companies years ago, uh, and actually, people think you know she's got loads of sponsors, she must be like asking all the time. And and nowadays, I don't ask; I generally get approached. Um, but I'm very loyal to the brands. You know, I've worked with the same brands for years. But I, I used to ask, um, even when I was rubbish. I asked my local bike shop. Actually, this is this is how it went. I'll tell you the story because it's quite funny. I was with my coach at the time, my very first coach, and I said, I really want to get faster. This was after my first Ironman. I really want to get faster, but I need a better bike. I was on absolute, like, a rubbish bike, um, an entry-level road bike. And, um, and he said, well, you'll have to get a new bike. I said, well, I can't afford a bike. I don't have any money to buy one right now. I said, oh, can't you get one sponsored? And I just laughed at him. I was like, you're joking. Who the hell is going to sponsor me? He said, you'd be surprised. So there was a new bike shop opening up in a town near me. And I, I contacted the owner and I was like, oh, I don't know whether you'd be interested. I could be like an ambassador and help, you know, promote women's cycling. And he said, yeah, definitely interested. Come down. And I had a chat with him face to face. And I said, you do know I'm never going to win a race, don't you? I'm just, I was so rubbish at this point. I was kind of like, why are you even talking to me? He said, no, it's fine. It's fine. We, we understand that. We just want someone local to kind of represent the, the shop and also help attract more pe- more women into cycling. This was quite a few years ago, actually, and cycling, you know, women's cycling has has proliferated quite considerably. Um, but it was funny. It was a funny conversation, and 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 I, I actually from there I thought, oh, he kind of they gave me a bike. Jesus Christ! Okay, I'm going to ask a few more. And I asked a local physio, and they said, yeah, of course. And it it kind of just built from there, really. But I guess what I always offered them is something back. I didn't just say, oh, can you give me free stuff? You know. Yeah. I would always say, I you know, as a marketing person, I kind of know that you need to offer value to a brand. So, you know, I, I would approach companies and say, I'll, you know, talk about your products on social media. Um, didn't have a massively big following at the time, um, but just talking about it and representing the brand in a positive way and also helping it, helping the product to become relatable to other people who aren't pros. You know, you get, you know, a famous tennis player going on about a brightening watch is probably not going to make you go and buy one. <laughs> um, but, you know, this this is, makes it relatable because I'm like, okay, I'm like your average Joe and I'm using this product. You could be too. Yeah. Um, but doing it in subliminal ways that's not like really heavy advertising. And then it just kind of built from there, really. And now I have a bit more to offer them because I'm on, you know, I've got some some results behind me. But, um yeah, I think I think in those days, that was actually before influencers became a thing. It's funny, like 10 years ago, when I used to approach companies, uh, it was kind of a growing, it was a new thing. It was kind of an embryonic, in its embryonic stages of this kind of, okay, we, we're going to start supporting non-elite, non-pro people who are just love their sport and want to promote the sport and promote themselves in the sport. So it kind of built from there. And, um Yeah. It's interesting. You've got quite a few followers now, so do you think that's quite a good leverage as well? It is now. I mean, I'm not really 
approaching anyone actively these days. Um, I'm really happy with the brands I work with. Um, I'm very loyal to the brands I work with. You know, some of them I've worked with for, for a really long time now and I'm not really one to flit around if I get a better offer. But yeah, it, it definitely does help, but it's not everything. And actually about five years ago, I worked for this brand and they said um, explicitly on social media that they support me not because I have a big following or because I get results but it's it's actually more about the way that you can communicate with people in a relatable way about the product and just you know being a good ambassador for the sport and for the product rather than just saying hey I've got loads of results there's plenty of people out there with results there's plenty of people out there with millions of Instagram followers are they gonna be a good asset to your brand comes down to how much value you're going to give them and I think it always comes back to that really and that's your marketing background that yeah, brings that through, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. You do a lot of things to sort of give back as well, don't you? you you're you an, an ambassador for the Women's Sport Trust, is that right? Yeah, um, I did do, I did work with them a long time ago. I haven't, has been a bit dormant. All right, okay. Yes, but I do a bit of speaking, uh, motivational speaking, and, you know, not, not loads, but um, I've done a bit in the past and... And is this going around companies or is this schools or where is this? Uh, I've done a couple for some local cycling clubs, um, a local cycling cafe. I have done some corporate stuff as well. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a mix, really. What sort of topics do you cover then, uh, to, you know, in, in terms of motivation for people? Is it just your story or do you cover something else that, that we don't yeah. know about? My story is not that interesting, but... That's, <laughs> that's why we got you on here. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I just talk about how I've got this like deck that I do that I run for this presentation. And I talk about how when I first started triathlon, I couldn't swim one length of front crawl. And then when I did my Ironman, I thought I was going to die. And um, and just talk about that journey, really, and how, you know, now I'm world championship level age group. And, you know, I have got legitimate results. I got um, quite a bit of stick i guess over the years on social media i, I was a bit I, I hate using the word bully there's you know i'm not i don't want to go that far with it but but people were quite nasty at times with comments you know saying oh why are you they said because i had a website quite early on even though i was still an average athlete they they said why have you your website is like having a uh, a a garage full of um porsches and yet out in the wor- workshop it's full of like fears or some kind of analogy like that you know like with some a forecourt of really fancy cars and having really crap ones out the back and uh yeah and and then over the years I've actually proven that I've got the results that I was building towards but I I was I guess in my motivational speaking as well to bring back to that I I was kind of future pacing myself so I was projecting who I want to be and just kind of embodying that person and it's, it's a classic tactic athletes do it business people do it you know, I've worked with mindset coaches, but this this was way before all of that. I just kind of thought I'm going to kind of project the person that I want to be and it will happen eventually. And people can say all this stuff on Twitter or whatever saying that I'm, you know, I'm not a legitimate athlete. Why am I pretending to be? But then I became one. So, yeah, people speaking shit on Twitter. I, I can't understand that really. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> <laughs> What about advice then? See, see for on, on, on two different levels, really. Someone that has maybe 
not even being in, in athletics, but thinking, you know, I want to start, if, if everything's about mental health these days, you know, feeling good and feeling fit and, you know, and that, that runs into your mental health. But so wanting to start out on that journey, what tips would you give someone that just, you know, bought their first pair of trainers, for example, and they're just looking to get out the door? I think it depends what they want out of it. You know, if, if it is just to be fit and be healthy, just make sure it, it, it is that and it doesn't become anything different because, you know, I've been in a situation before much later down the line when I've been training really hard uh, and a lot of my peers are, have been, in, we go through these kind of waves, you know, through the training cycles where you're kind of like, God, why am I doing all this? I'm not even enjoying it anymore. You get to the point where you're training so hard. Every training session becomes uh, almost like a, a necessity rather than doing it out of enjoyment. I have to get up and do this run. I have to go for my swim tonight. You know, it's never, I really want to because I'm just enjoying myself. And when it gets very serious like that, you stop enjoying it. So I guess it depends what what their objective is. So I'd have two bits of advice. If someone wants to just have fun, make sure it's just fun and, you know, find other people you can, uh, that can hold you accountable if you want to get fit. And sometimes it is difficult to get out the door. Um, but you still want to do it and enjoy it, you know, find other people to enjoy that process with. You can laugh and, and mess about and have fun with it. I think it's really important to enjoy what you're doing. And the second piece of advice is don't, it sounds so cliched, but don't give up because honestly, that, that first year when I was doing these triathlons and coming last and last out the water and being accompanied by the safety kayaks and stuff like that. There were so many times that was going through, <laughs> where it was going through my head, you know, just what the hell are you doing? This is embarrassing. I like, just, just quit. Stop, try, stop, don't do any more of these. Uh, I, you know, there was kind of a tendency to want to pull out during the race, but certainly not to enter anymore. But I did, I carried on. I was like, no, I'm going to enter another one. I'm going to enter another one. And I embarrassed myself continually until I, didn't anymore <laughs> you know so it, it does it takes time but pursue it you know no one builds a business and is just successful overnight it's the same thing same thing I apply to my work ethic you know you've got to grind it out and I'm in a position where I've got you know good strong client base and I'm proving myself and it's it feels good but it takes ages to get there and you know you've got to believe in yourself I think your two bits of advice are fantastic, but I, I totally agree with the first one more. You know, fun is the best thing, isn't it? If you can yeah. get a friend to go with and make it enjoyable. Massively. Yeah. Sometimes some of our grimmest, because I've never done a UK training winter before. My close friends, I was in a bubble with them um, and we'd go cycling every weekend in crap, grim weather. And we just laugh. Like it was so grim. We just laugh. It's like, you know, it's winter, it's COVID. We can't go on our training camps. They've all been cancelled. All of our races have been cancelled. You've got to just laugh. We just end up messing about on our bikes and having fun and yeah. it's got to be done. It's the best way. Good thing is, no matter how bad a run it is or how bad a cycle it is, you're still lapping everybody that's sitting on their couch. <laughs> so they say... The thing, you know, get out there and just do it. <laughs> yeah. What about someone that's already in training and, and looking to get to that, that next level, is there something they can do on their own? Like us, yeah. Um, is, is it get a coach or is there something they can do that they maybe don't have the money to get a coach just yet? I think a coach is probably the best investment you'll ever make. Um, you know, having that kind of balance between discipline and motivation, holding yourself accountable. 
um, and, and the right structured training as well. So I would say a coach is the best investment. If you can't afford a coach, there's loads of really good structured training programs that you can get online that are much cheaper. Join a team, join a triathlon club. They're usually very cost-effective. You've got other people to train with. You can have fun. Um, and you'll learn loads. I, 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 soon after I decided to start a tri doing triathlons, I joined a local triathlon club and I learned loads and it was fun and you meet people and have people to train with. And yeah, de definitely. I think that's probably the most important bit of learning for others because you can buy all the best equipment, but you know, that's not, that's not going to be the bit that necessarily makes you, you know, makes you successful. I think the thing that will make you successful is structure, good people around you that can push you and give you advice and uh and having fun yeah member of a club you know the incentive to get out there in the pushing rain you know to go for a run because there's other people there that's that's the best yeah, thing isn't it exactly yeah, it's easy not to do it what about and i know you've mentioned this recently that it hasn't you you don't get this and you're you're you know a, a, a proper athlete now but for someone that's just again gone out there for that first run and you know you get the old doms with the legs are aching the next day or a couple of days later is there actually a way to avoid that or, or at least reduce that red wine? <laughs> yeah, get hammered. <laughs> no, um, I'm, I'm big on recovery. I love recovery. It's like my favourite bit. <laughs> That's ice, ice baths, I told you. Yeah, no, 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 don't do that. Um, well, I mean, ice baths, I've heard they're really good. Um, but no, I, I mean, stretching, foam rolling, I do every day. You have to just keep on top of the, you know, maintaining the body. Um, I'm a big fan of massage. Sports massage, um, I think, works very well. And actually, when you've just finished a session, getting protein on board is really important um, to avoid the DOMS the next day because it'll start repairing the muscles that have been, you know, that experience trauma yeah. uh, straight away. Um, and then I'm a big fan. Sometimes I post it on my Instagram stories, but I've basically got these massive inflatable sleeves that you put around your legs, and they're amazing. You plug them in they apply pressure they kind of blow up um and squeeze your leg with all this pressure from air and oh. they are amazing i love those and i'm not sponsored by this product by the way oh. i just love them i sit in them on the sofa with my legs up and it's like my little recovery ritual and they're easy to get a hold of you can get them on in most places or on amazon or wherever people go to buy stuff yeah, the ones I have are called Aerolax. So what do you do? Like, Is it for your joints or your muscles? It's mostly just to flush lactic acid out of the muscles. So it doesn't, it doesn't operate like a deep tissue. Um, it's not going to be breaking anything down, but it kind of it increases blood flow. So it will increase the rate at which your body can repair its own muscles um, by, by increasing blood flow because it will apply loads of pressure and then release it and then apply the pressure again and release it quite slowly over a period of time. So I sometimes sit in them for like an hour. Really? Mm. What is the What does the future hold for you? What have you still got on your athletic bucket list that you would like to tick off, Amy? Mm, good question. Um, I mean, it's endless, isn't it? I, I've raced on almost every continent um, at 70.3 level, which is quite cool. Um, I guess I would love to get some a really decent result at a world championship. So, you know, maybe top five or top 10 in my age group at a world championship. Um, I was 25th in 2019 in my age group and yeah, still got something to tick off there, I think. And I think I'm capable of it. Just need to dial it in. 
Uh, and yeah, I have, there are some other random races I'd quite like to turn to, I think, after triathlon. I'd love to go back to full long distance triathlon and try and get to the full Ironman World Championships in Kona one day. That's definitely on the bucket list. And yeah, I think something like the Marathon de Sable or one of those crazy ultra marathons would be quite cool. Nice. That would be the, the training regime for that, the ultra marathons, would be hugely different that, to, to what you're doing at the moment, surely. Yeah, a lot more running. <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> um, yeah, it would. It would. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I've got ultramarathon. I've got friends that do ultramarathons and they actually probably don't train as much as me, weirdly. I think because running is so high impact, you can't be doing, you know, necessarily 20 hours of running a week without, you know, needing hip replacement, which I'll probably need in about 10 years anyway. But yeah, I think, yeah, it would, it would be very, very different, but you need to you need to make sure your body's pretty robust to take on that that kind of volume. So you'll be taking on Eddie Izzard shortly then, yeah? Ah, yeah, he's still doing crazy stuff, isn't he? All these years on. You mentioned hip replace, replacement, Sarah. I don't know if that was tongue-in-cheek or not, but is, is that a, a real thing that the, the rigours that it places on the body means that things would break down and, as, you, as you get a bit older? I mean, I hope not. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends how long you've been hammering your body for and how robust you are as an mm-hmm. athlete. Um, yeah, I mean, my mum's just constantly warning me of this. She's always saying, you know, you do so much training, one day you're going to end up with, you know, having to have a hip replacement or something. So she she worries a bit, or, you know, really bad arthritis. She worries that I'm just pushing too hard. Just look at the older administrators of your sport, and if they're all hobbling around, there is a problem. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, some of the athletes, uh, I think there's a point at which exercise is good for your body to a point, and then it's not. <laughs> and yeah. I think I'm in that camp. Yeah. Well, the classic is to l- listen to your body, isn't it? That's the classic phrase. Yeah. Depends how well you look after it as well. Like, I do I do invest a lot of time and energy and money in, in making sure that my body is capable of doing what it can do. Before we let you go, what's your next scheduled race then? My next scheduled race, I'm doing another race on the 1st of August, uh, a local Olympic distance. So I'm going to do the Olympic distance again, um, I think, before my world championship race in September. There's not a lot of time now. Oh, I keep forgetting, like, almost in mid-July. Yeah. So I think one more Olympic just to keep that sharpness going uh, without the risk of you know, carrying too much fatigue and load into the world championship and then go and hit the world champs hard, I think. You do know local equals cold, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) First of August, I'm kind of hoping at least the air temperature will have warmed up a bit by then. Perhaps. And where would that September one be then, the the world's? That's in Utah. Uh, Oh, that's that one, of course. Yeah. And then Vegas. Got you. I'm just hanging on for those nights in Vegas, in fairness. <laughs> I can see a common thread here. Yeah. Well, we wish you all the luck in the world, first for, for the one in August, but more importantly for Utah, and even more importantly for having a blast in Vegas. It's been a delight talking to you. All the best in September. And uh, you never know, we might be able to catch up with you again once you're a, a world champion uh, athlete. One day. All right. Thanks so much. Cheers. You've been listening to the Smokies and Wine podcast, sponsored by Clack and View Wealth Management, working with you today to plan for your tomorrow.